Welcome to Truth Culture Life. I'm Royce Hood. Thank you so much for listening. Father Orsi will be back in about two weeks, so bear with us. He's enjoying the nice warm weather down in Naples, Florida. So stay tuned. You'll hear from Father Orsi probably right around the 1st of February as we ramp up for the Naples Summit later in March. But I am joined by a very special guest today. We have Joe McGivney, who is the author of a book, You're a Miracle. And we're going to talk all about this. And Joe and I offline, we're talking a little bit about Juno Beach, my old stomping ground, which I'm, I kind of don't even like Joe right now. I, I shouldn't say that. But I'm a bit jealous. Let's put it that way. Joe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Royce. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as you know, you were rubbing it in earlier, how beautiful and temperate the weather is. And you're in the tropical zone. A lot of people don't realize that. What's great about Juno Beach, that whole corridor is the Gulf Stream is only two miles off the coast. So you have a consistent sea breeze. So it is 10 degrees cooler from, I think, about Singer Island all the way up to Tequesta, Hope Sound than it is anywhere else in the state of Florida. Um, and it's just gorgeous. It is. It is. It is. You know, we love telling people about how wonderful it is here, but I think I'm going to stop doing that because we we'd like to keep it just as it is now. That sounds like an old school thing, but no, Florida, Florida is full. Unless you're a Floridian, um, there's no more room. There's no more homes available. So don't bother trying to move there, folks, if you're listening, uh, right? <laughs> uh, I know I see that sign, you know, keep your uh, California out of Texas. I see that a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, keep your in New York out of Florida. Uh, it's funny how people leave places that have these just ridiculous policies. And you really hope that they're smart enough not to continue voting the same way. Right. And. I'll tell you, Joe, I, I, and this isn't necessarily a political show. When Father Orsi's on, we get into politics a bit. We want to talk about your book. But I was really worried in the last governor election, you know, which way um, Florida was going to go. And I, I'll have to say it was such a big margin for DeSantis. It wasn't even close. And it really made me think like, wow, maybe people are actually moving to Florida and they're they're embracing the politics a bit. And, you know, sort of that open just free society that Florida is. It's just such a beacon of light. I mean, look, I'm in communist Illinois. It's, it's bad. Richard, you're from Chicago originally, so you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Born and raised. Yeah, so hopefully uh, your state continues to um, be sort of a place for, uh, I don't know, the low, like, low income, no, no income tax, right? That's a big shock for people that live in Illinois. Yeah, you, you know, folks up in New York, New Jersey, who, you know, add all their state and local taxes, you know, they move down here. If they're still working, they get an immediate 10% raise. Right. Right. Ten, yeah. And if you compound that money that you pay in Illinois, it's six and a half percent. If you don't live in the city, it's higher with the Chicago, but it, and where I am in Peoria, six and a half percent state income tax. If you take that money, hundred thousand dollars a year, let's say, and you, you know, so you're paying 6,500 bucks a year or something and, and, state income tax, you put that in an IRA or whatever, I mean, over 20 years, I, I think I read once it could be like worth a million bucks or something like that, right? If you put in the bare minimum, I mean, just the compounding interest and everything else. I mean, I, I'm not a finance guy. I'm a lawyer by trade. So I know just enough to be dangerous, but I do know what it feels like to write a check to the state government. And I don't generally enjoy doing it. Yeah. Well, again, one more of the 
blessings we have by being true Floridians now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, all right, let's talk about your book a bit. Um, I mean, this is, I love the title. And when I saw the the title, I thought of a song that I was involved with the production of a few years ago called Fulton Song. And one of the lyrics in there is, you're a miracle. It's a different story altogether. But this is just, I love the premise and it's so cool. And it's it just a beautiful, that looks like the sunrise. Is my correct? Is that the sunrise? Yeah, that photograph was actually taking on Juno Beach. I, I, you know, I recognize, I know that bird. That bird and I have a relationship. <laughs> no, uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. That is what the sunrise looks like on the Atlantic coast of Florida. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, the Okay, so this is Joe. We're, we're joined by Joe McGivney, the author of You're a Miracle. And I'm just going to read um, on the title of the book. It says, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power and Love. Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book. A um, little bit about myself, born and raised in Chicago, cradle Catholic. Um, and, you know, obviously my book is about alcoholism. So, we'll, you know, in the interest of time, we'll kind of go there. Um, so I was born in this, you know, loving, beautiful, warm, supportive Catholic family. and. Um, in spite of all that, and you know, I I was always felt like I never belonged anywhere. Um, as a young kid, even though I was a good student, I was a good athlete. Um, I always felt had this feeling of being less than, and that I didn't belong necessarily. And I'll never forget. It was a summer night between my seventh grade and eighth grade. We were sitting out in front of my one of my friend's houses and his brother uh, walked outside, was going to the car and we said, hey, where are you off to? And he said, uh, I'm going to the liquor store. And one of us, there were six boys there. Somebody said, well, you get some beer for us. And he said, you give me some money, I will. And we reached into our pockets, came up with a few bucks and he came back with uh, three six packs. I've done the math. That means each one of us gets three <laughs> beers. And I remember that, you know, get, struggling to get that first beer into my body. I, I wanted to vomit. I felt sick. But by the time I finished the third one, I felt like a different person. Um, those feelings of less than and not belonging and um, lack of confidence all disappear. And, you know, the following morning, I remember waking up with my first hangover. And I think most normal people at that point would have said, well, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, I, on the other hand, was thinking, I can't wait to do this again. And I was off to the races from there. So my, my drinking followed me through elementary school, then high school, during high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. So again, another connection to my Catholic faith. Um, but I was now not only drinking every weekend, I, I was drinking during the week as well. Again, while still maintaining really good grades, I you know, graduated dean's list from Brother Rice, went off to University of Illinois. Um, but the more I kept drinking, the more, the further and further away I was falling from my faith. So once I left high school and no longer had to 
go to church and had to practice my faith, I just stopped going. And at University of Illinois, I didn't even know this until recently, we actually have a Catholic church right on campus there that I was totally unaware even it was there. So after college, I entered the real world. Um, again, my drinking continues to progress like alcohol does. Ultimately got married uh, for the first time. Had two beautiful, wonderful children who are now young adults. Um, but my drinking led to the you know, destruction of my first marriage. And then ultimately met my now wife um, who you know, saw the good in me when I couldn't see see it for myself, and we we actually we got divorced, and then we came back together with the agreement that I would no longer be a blackout drunk; that I could would learn to drink like a gentleman, and that worked for a couple of years. It worked until it didn't. Um, in, the, in March of 2020, when we went into complete COVID lockdown, my fears, my anxieties just spiraled out of control. And I started drinking from the moment I woke up every morning until I went to bed at night. And mm -hmm. it, during that period from March of 2020 to December 30th, um, I started to have vision issues, balance issues, and then on the night, ultimately of December 30th, 2020, my body completely gave out and collapsed. Um, I found myself literally on the on the floor of my living room. Um, I have no memories of the, any of this next part of our story, by the way. And my, uh, I, when I collapsed on the floor, apparently my phone was in my hand and I was able to call my wife who was upstairs in bed. Thankfully, she woke up, got me to the hospital and what it, when they first got me there, they immediately realized that I uh, needed to be detoxed from alcohol. So they started that process medically. Um, but I, rather than getting better, I started getting worse. Um, I was in the intensive care unit for some time. It was kind of touch and go as to whether I would make it. Um, but I also started experiencing horrible neurological changes. And over the next nine weeks, uh, I would be in a number of institutions, ending with the locked psych ward at St. Mary's Hospital here in West Palm Beach. My brain, as a result of my decades of alcohol abuse, had rewired, and I had uh, what's commonly known as wet brain. The medical term is Korsakoff psychosis. Mm. The bottom line is, when you get to that place neurologically, there's no such thing as bringing you back. So my family was told that I would spend the rest of my life as a hallucinating, violent, psychotic man. And they told her you know, that, that they were discharging me and she had to find a home for me. So my traumatized wife, um, by the grace of God, found a treatment facility that agreed to essentially hold me for 30 days while she found a permanent solution for me. Um, so I was discharged from the locked psych ward. According to medical records, it looks like they put me into that treatment facility, put me to bed, and I woke up the following morning completely healed. 
with no physical, psychological, or neurological deficits. And that never happens. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, just keep going. Your story is um, astounding. I mean, really. And I think about your wife. Um, you know, she just sounds amazing. She, yeah, she is a, you know, my angel. And because I'll tell you what, she, she saved my life twice. And, I, and I'll get to that. The first time was that night when I collapsed on the floor on December 30th, the 20. Um, had she shut her phone off, with all likelihood, she would have walked downstairs that following morning to find me dead on the floor. Um, so she saved me that time. So after the nine weeks, I wake up in this treatment facility with no idea where I was. Um, again, everything that happened over that nine-week period, I have zero memories of. Um, so I wake up in this treatment facility. I'm in a room with a bed, a nightstand, and a dresser. The sun is shining through the window, and I'm wondering, where am I, and why am I here? So I wander out into the hallway and I come across one of the staff members and I literally asked them a question, where am I and why am I here? She said, well, you're at the retreat it's a, and you're here because of your drinking. I'm like, okay, well, over the next few days, all the blanks start filling in. Um, I learned that I was indeed there because of, you know, I had had a traumatic neurological episode. And at that point, my number one goal became, okay, I need to get out of this place as fast as I can to convince my wife to stay with me. I, at that point, I'm in a treatment facility. After all I had been through, I didn't yet believe I still had a drinking problem. So about a week into that treatment facility, I'm you know, going through therapy sessions and so on. We had a call scheduled with my wife. <clears throat> now it's COVID. You know, she has not been inside the treatment facility. She and I have not laid eyes on, on each other in a matter of, you know, for a period of time. And we're on this conference call, and it's me, the therapist, and Nicole. And I hear Nicole start sobbing. And I could just, I know her well enough to know that this was not going to be a very easy conversation. And she said, Joe, you know, do you really understand what you've been through for the last nine weeks? And I, I truthfully, I said, I still don't, can't wrap my head around it. And she said, well, I, I'm so grateful that you are actually helping now, but I can't do this anymore. Um, I've already spoken to lawyers where we filed for the divorce. Uh, I've already packed everything up. When you go home, the house will be empty. And I'm asking you to please, please just let me be. So in that moment, I was absolutely broken. You know, when people describe being broken, I now know what that means. I physically felt like somebody had taken a baseball bat to me. Um, I was, you know, sobbing, literally crying like a child. The Therapist tries to interrupt the call and says, you know, hey, Nicole, you don't have to make that decision right now. Let's call you back in a few days. She, Nicole cut him off and said, there's not going to be another phone call. Click. So in that moment, I'm broken. The therapist looks me in the eye and he says, Joe, 
there's an AA meeting and starting in five minutes and you need to go. Now this treatment facility offered AA meetings. I had never gone to one because I wasn't an alcoholic. So in that moment, he coerced me and convinced me to go to my first meeting of AA. And in the, for anyone who knows anything about AA, at the beginning of the program, somebody reads through the 12 steps. And step number three says, we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. When they read that, I was laser focused on that. It was almost like a little whisper in my ear. Following that, there was a speaker. And it was a man who just looked, you know, physically looked like he had found the secret to joy and happiness. He just had this very easy way about him. And he told his story of how he had burned his life to the ground, finally decided he had a problem, found his way to AA and how his life had to transform. And I decided that night I wanted to be like him. And I accepted that night that I had a problem. But now I'm looking at that those steps. They had them on a banner on the wall. Made a decision to surrender my or turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Now, now I'm scared. Think, I'm thinking, what would God want to do with me? For years, I have turned my back on him, on my church, on my faith. I was selfish. I was sinful. I was flawed. Why is he going to want to help me? For everybody listening, you're listening to Truth Culture Life. We're talking to uh, Joe McGivney, who's just sharing his incredible story. He is the author of the book, You're a Miracle, which is available on Amazon. Um, and so we'll be right back after this break. This is Paul Garcia, and I host Catholic Conversations on Saturdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. My guests are mainly from the local community, and we always have something awesome to discuss. Be sure to listen to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line if you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station, 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas, Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Are you sure you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, there's only two answers, no or yes. If you say yes, who told you that? Secondly, church teaching. You may struggle to hear this, but the Catholic Church, the unwavering fortress of the truth, has taught you this. Between 105 and 250 AD, we have the writings of Ignatius, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Tertullian. They laid the groundwork and they battled hair for you to believe in the truthfulness of this virgin birth. And thirdly, my pesky comeback. The Bible told me so. No, don't let that be your answer. Spurgeon, Finney, Calvin, and Luther are not correct answers either. From the top, here's how it all happened. The Holy Spirit revealed it to Gabriel. Gabriel revealed it to Mary. And Luke's work, by the power of the Holy Spirit, revealed it to the church. So the correct answer is, yep, the Catholic Church. Don't fight it. Join us. Find me on Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-628. Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. Welcome back to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. We are joined by Joe McGivney, author of the book, You Are a Miracle. Joe is just telling us, about really the point in his life where he hit rock bottom and, um, and then he, but, but he found, he found inspiration and he realized that how broken his life was and that, uh, why, why would God really want anything to do with him? Joe, take it away from where, where you left off if you can. No, uh, thank you, Royce. So I'm now in this treatment facility. I've gone to my first meeting of AA and Nicole is, is gone. She has left me and she's made it clear she's not coming back. So at that point, I still had about two and a half to three weeks left in um, in the treatment center. And now, now my goal became not just get Nicole back because I didn't believe that would ever happen again. My goal now became to get figure out recovery, to be sober and to, and to be, a, be the man that I'm supposed to be. I finally accepted that I needed help. So I embraced the therapy sessions and so on for the remainder of the time I was there. And I started going to AA meetings. And the day before I'm going to be sent home, I get called into an office with a woman I don't remember meeting prior to that. And it was her job to do my discharge paperwork. And she, she asked me, you know, I'm sitting across the desk from her and she says, Joe, what's your plan for when you get out of here? And I looked her in the eye and I said, don't worry, I got this. And she kind of laughed, kind of shook her head. And she said, Joe, you don't got this. You're still an alcoholic and you still need to figure out what you're going to do when they, they let you back in the real world tomorrow. And she kind of sensed that I was maybe a little stubborn. And she said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to do two simple things. Number one, within the first hour of you walking back into your house, 
start reaching out to someone to get you to an AA meeting and start working on finding a sponsor. And number two, she said, and she, she Googled surrender prayer on her computer, turned the screen, the monitor around so I could see it, and up popped this very long prayer. And she said, when you get home, the first thing you do before you start figuring out where to go for AAA is print that prayer. And I said, wait a minute, okay, I'll promise myself to print a prayer and I'll promise myself to go to an AA. Well, that was a watershed moment in my life because I started going to AA meetings the following day. I started praying that beautiful surrender prayer and it's in the book and you can Google surrender prayer in all caps and you'll find it also. Um, but I started praying that beautiful prayer every day. And over the period, it didn't happen overnight at first. It was all just words on a page. and It was overwhelming and scary. But after about two and a half to three months, it dawned on me that I had be, been completely transformed. I no longer craved alcohol. I no longer had a desire to drink. But more importantly, as a human being, I was that God had brought me home. And I started also going to church. And like many people, I, I carried a lot of shame still um, because of all the horrible things I did do to my family and friends during my drinking. And I started going back to mass. And I'll never forget it. It was we, only a few weeks after I found my way back to the church when the priest gave a homily about what the difference between being a or what is a good Catholic. And so at the end of his homily, he summed it up by saying, heaven is not for the good. Heaven is for the forgiven. And it was like a lightning strike hit me. He said, there is a place for me in this church. In fact, maybe it's exactly why our church exists, is to minister to sinners like me. So fast forward, um, Nicole and I parted ways in March of 2021. Um, we were divorced. And then later in the year, we started having a couple interactions. And of course, I'm now transforming spiritually, physically. I'm no longer drinking. Drinking's just not even an option. Um, and eventually she had the courage. She said, Joe, you know, I still love you. And I asked her, well, are you worried at all about, you know, before we even talk about this, that I'm going to start drinking again? And she said, no, I, I can tell them that's not even a concern of mine. And I said, well, then, you know, how will this work? Why? Why do you want to come back to me? I've hurt you so badly. And she said, Joe, because since you got sober, since you got out of recover, you're different. You're not, it's not about you being sober. It's you're different. Wow. And that was God's grace and God's love. You know, you know Joe, I I'm sorry to do this to you, but I, I feel like I almost wish we'd had your wife on. <laughs> you know what? Um, I encourage you maybe to think about that. She Do would it. love to tell her story. Uh, 
she's a school teacher. So when a lot of the interviews that we've done to promote the book are during the day, so it's very difficult to, for her to participate. Okay. But she, I'll tell you what, every there's been times when I've given talks about this in, uh, you know, parishes, Knights of Columbus events and so on. And the first question during the Q&A is always, I want to, or the first statement people always say, I want to hear from Nicole, sit down, Joe. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, it sounds like um, she sounds like an incredible woman. The fact that she's been so patient with you. But I also I really respect the fact that, I mean, you know, in the Catholic Church, obviously, divorce is not something to be taken lightly. Right. And but she she sounds like the kind of woman that was giving you some tough love, probably when you needed it most. Yeah. In, in fact, Royce, if you think back a little while ago, I mentioned Nicole saved my life twice. The first time was that night she got me off the living room floor, floor and got me to the hospital. You know, I probably would have died on December 30th. The second time she saved my life was by leaving me while I was in that treatment center. Yeah. Had she not done that, I would not have accepted that I had a problem. I would not have gotten to my first AA meeting and I would not have found my way back to God. Let's do this. Joe, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Some feedback there. Um, I want to have you back on this program um, maybe in the next couple months to hear how things are going with the book. Uh, I know that uh, the book is called for those that are listening, you're a miracle. And Joe's uh, story is just, fascinating and we also share a common love for juno beach and the jupiter coast so i want to have him back anyway because i instantly like him that he's in florida um joe will you come back and where where can people buy your book uh you can you know just search on amazon under you're a miracle um with an exclamation point or it you can also go to our website joemcgivney.com in addition to a link for the book, there's also a number of links to some YouTube videos that Knights of Columbus has produced about my miracle because it's believed that it was the intercession of blessed Michael McGivney, my relative. It was believed that it was his intercession that was responsible for my miraculous healing. We have to take a minute to talk about that. Um, how are you related and just give us give us like the two minute the two minute story if you can. I would be happy to. Um, my great grandfather and Father Michael are believed to be second cousins. Um, they both grew up in a rural county in Ireland called County Cabin. Um, now Father Michael did not grow up there, but Father Michael's father did. So my great grandmother and Father Michael cousins, second cousins, believe. Um, but when this all came together for us, as soon after I, in my recovery, I finally decided to join the Knights of Columbus. I had known about the family link to Father Michael for years, um, but I just, you know, it wasn't interested to me. So I joined the Knights. Soon after, I share it with um, one of my relatives who's a devout Catholic woman. Uh, I share with her that I had become a knight and, and in the phone call, she starts sobbing. And I'm like, well, I thought you'd be happy. She said, Joey, when you were sick, I was praying to God, to Jesus, to Mary. And I was fervently praying to Father Michael, our relative. 
when she shared that, it all, the reason why, why did God reach down and save me physically? I think that is the answer. So Knights of Columbus learned about this and they're, they're, they're on YouTube, you can find a number of different interviews about what we, we call yeah. my Father McGibney here. Um, David Naglieri, do you know him? He's a filmmaker there. David, uh, yes, um, he's responsible for a couple of the videos that are on YouTube. Yeah. And then do you know Jim Wahlberg by any Jim chance? Well. Okay. I've met yeah. Jim. I don't yeah. know Jim well, but he's recently become a knight. He, yeah. they actually did a profile on him just like they did on me. Um, sure. So Jim no. and I share that. Go ahead. No, we're almost out of time, and I've got I've got to bring in another guest here in just a minute, Joe. But I want to talk to you some more because there's so much synergy. Um, yeah, it's funny that the people that listen to Truth Culture Life know that I'm working on a film right now called Incorruptible, which is about Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster, who they discovered her body out in. Um, Gower, Missouri, after five years, it looks exactly the same as it did the day they buried her. Um, it was crazy. I was actually in the room when they were performing a medical, like almost like an autopsy four, four years technically after they found her, after wow. she passed away. And her, her, they were doing a, a, like a hip induction, like lifting her leg. It was limber, like as if you were sleeping on the couch, wasn't stiff. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> so I have all this on film and I've been consulting with David. And um, and the next guest actually is uh, Dawn Fitzpatrick. She's on standby. I'm going to bring her in a minute, but she's the new executive director of the March for Life. And the Knights of Columbus have a very, very close relationship with the March for Life. I used to be a board member with the March and Pat Kelly was the chairman of our board. And he went on to become, of course, uh supreme night which is just amazing um so what a, there's a lot of synergy here i just i just love it i love the connections yeah i i would love to come back uh you just say the word royce and we'll make it happen and i love your idea of having nicole join us too because she's the real story here well if we have nicole in i'm gonna have my wife join so that they can have some camaraderie with dealing with difficult men um <laughs> I appreciate that anyway uh joe this is great joe mcgivney uh, JoeMcGivney.com. I will post that link at our Facebook page with uh, for everybody listening. That's Facebook. I think it's forward slash Truth Culture Life Pod, and we'll post a link to his website and then also a um, link to his new book. Joe, the show will air this weekend, and I'll send you a link for that as well. Thank you so much for joining us at Truth Culture Life, and we can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Royce. God bless. All right. God bless you. All right. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Don Fitzpatrick. Joe, you're more than welcome to stick around if you want. You can listen or you, you can you can jump off. It's up to you. Yeah, I have to make it to another appointment. So no I, otherwise, I would love to spend all day with you. Thanks, Bryce. All right. Take care. Bye. God bless. I'm going to be sad watching my friends. As they sit in a bottle of water It heats up, oh, oh, feeling warmer They don't jump, oh no, it boils over How did we become 
This is Paul Garcia, and I host Catholic Conversations on Saturdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. My guests are mainly from the local community, and we always have something awesome to discuss. Be sure to listen to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station, 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas, Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. Welcome to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Royce Hood. It is so great to be back with you on the other side of this break. Wow. What a great interview with Joe McGivney, author of You're a Miracle. Be sure to check that out. And again, we'll post links to that interview um, and to his book on Facebook. We are joined now by Don Fitzpatrick, who is the new executive director at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Don, welcome to the program. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going great. Now, it's not like you're a stranger. I feel like you and I talk at least once a day. It seems Uh, like it. Yeah, especially Mm -hmm. as things ramp up. For for those listening that don't know, among my many titles, I'm a former board member with the March for Life, and I'm, I guess, sort of their outside general counsel. I just make myself available whenever they need it to answer questions and to just try to help. It's such a great, worthy cause. And there are a lot of our listeners, I think, that probably support the March for Life or go to the March for Life. So welcome to the program, Don. Um, now, I knew you from your Chicago days. Can you right. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into pro-life work? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I was in Chicago for nine years. I was the uh, Respect Life Director for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, that was through 
the beginning of July. And then, then I came to Washington to, uh, to be the executive director of the March for Life. So actually my pro-life story goes all the way back to 10th grade. Do you want to hear that far? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when I was, uh, you know, a young 15 year old, um, I was involved in what we called CCD at the time. Um, they actually had high school CCD, if you can imagine, which is something they probably need again. But anyway, um, we didn't have a, a place like a school at our parish. So all of our CCD classes happened in people's homes. And um, we were all called to one person's home, like all the 10th graders and to get a presentation. And it happened to be a group like the right to life group or something like that, um, who came to give us a little education on abortion. Now, I was pretty naive as a teenager. Um, I really thought everything was wonderful, good and kind everywhere. And I realized through their presentation that that wasn't the case. Um, this is the first time I'd ever heard of abortion. And they were showing us all of these horrible photos um, that are, are difficult to see, but certainly sometimes express a truth that people need to see, you know, in the in the right context. And they were they were talking with us about the different procedures and what happened. And I just re remember looking at these photos and it was on an old fashioned slide machine, you know, you know, then they would show the picture and then they would talk about it. You know, we don't have slides like that anymore. <laughs> but anyway, so it talks about, you know, how old I, how old I really am. But anyway, it was, um, it was shocking. And I asked the group, I said, wait, 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 did you just say this is legal? And here it was in like 1981, 82, something like that. And, um, so it had been legal for, you know, nine and eight or nine years. Um, and I was just, I was shocked about it. And I was involved in student government and things like that. And I just, I, I could not imagine that our country, as wonderful as it is, would allow such a thing. So from that moment, I was firmly pro-life. And I just remember, like, talking about it to other people in high school and getting involved in a few little things there. And then college um, having discussions with other people who were trying to convince me that I should be pro-choice um, and that wasn't going to happen. So um, as life went on, I just stayed firm in that opinion and in that belief and in, in my stand. Um, and fortunately, I've seen God make a path for me in this in this work um, to really stand up for the truth. So, you know, I've been I used to bring young people to the march back in the days when I, I was originally from Maryland and uh, I was a youth minister back in the early 2000s. And that's when I discovered the March for Life and started bringing students. Um, and when I moved to South Carolina, I was also a youth minister in South Carolina. I was working at the diocesan level. Well, I was working at, in a parish, but I, with the diocese to bring groups um, of kids to the, to the march. And we ended up hosting at my parish here in Maryland, um, a, a few buses where we slept in the hall and my mother arranged meals for us and things like that. And we brought probably three or four buses from South Carolina um, to my parish in Maryland and then to the march. Um, and then from Chicago, I was uh, involved in at the diocesan level bringing as many as 12, 14 buses from from Chicago. So anyway, that's I was super involved in that plus plus you know, catechesis around it and things like that, that I've, I've, um, led the instruction of. So it's just amazing that that trajectory. Yeah. I, I love that story. And the fact yeah. that how cool is it that you went 
and now you're there, right? And well, uh, I know, and that's what we keep we keep talking about. My husband and I are just like you know, we used to just think this was a wonderful springboard for young people um, because it was a great way to bring up the conversation. I would do sessions with confirmation kids about about the um, the social teachings of the church. And I'd link them all back to the fact that we have the right to life. And that's the first social teaching of the church. Um, and then I, I was also, even as an adult, a bit naive that there were differing opinions about that. When I went to Chicago, I had a, a rude awakening about, you know, there's a huge divide on social teachings, which is a shame because the fact is the right to life is the first, right? And if we aren't alive, we don't need the other rights. So we have to protect the, the, the sanctity of life um, from conception and natural death. It's so, amazing. It's amazing how even, you know, we're not going to get into this, but how even within the church, there are people that are confused about this issue. And I think about Jason Jones, who's just hilarious. Mm -hmm. And he was an atheist when he discovered that he was pro-life. And I say discovered because he, you know, lost right. a child and, and his story is just amazing. And he would actually pick up the phone. He would go door to door in Hawaii and he would knock on people's doors and they would open the door and he'd say, hi, I'm Jason. Did you know abortion is legal? I know. And, and, <laughs> and they would shut the door in his face like <laughs> he was a crazy kid. And he was just so shocked that it was legal. He wanted everybody to know. Right. Naive, but he was an atheist at the time. Well, and, and I remember first hearing his story at a pregnancy center in North Carolina or at their banquet because um, he was the keynote speaker. And I was just fascinated by what he had to say. And, and then of course I got to know him and he's in, in the networks I've been working in for years now, but just see, seeing his story and, and he was also a naive kid, right? He was. Um, yeah, because he was in the army when he discovered that his, uh, his girlfriend had an abortion. That's so, right. That, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, that yeah. story. And yeah, he's got one of the most, the best pro-life speeches I've ever seen. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, it's it's funny how going to the march for you, I mean, to, for me, that, I mean, I went, the first march I went to, I think was in 2010. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've missed a year since. Um, right. And I know what you mean, except for, of course, there was the COVID year where most of us couldn't go. Um yeah. And I may have had one year between my posts as youth minister between Maryland and South Carolina. I didn't go. But other than that, every year. So Every year. No, that's beautiful. So what are we expecting um, this year at the March for Life? I know. So you're, this will be your first year as executive director, which is awesome. And you're doing great, by the way. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, was it everything you thought it would be? Oh, and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, being involved at this level is it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of fulfilling work, but it's a lot of work. So, you know, all of you listening who come to the March and, and enjoy it and you think it's so fantastic, we appreciate that. But also know that so much goes into making it happen. This is why I talk to Royce every day <laughs> because so much goes into making it happen and so many, um, I's have to be dotted. So many T's have to be crossed. So, so many, um, there's so much business in the, in the, um, in the pleasure of putting on the March for life. Definitely. You know, and things have gotten more complicated. It's, it's amazing. You know, it gives you a whole different perspective when you're able to sort of look behind the curtain and see what goes on to make it happen. I think about Nellie Gray who ran this thing from her kitchen, yeah. you know, for like what, 40 years or something. And, 
just, I don't know how she did it because she was in many ways, she had volunteers, but she was just like a one woman show. And, and, but things have gotten more complicated since then. I mean, everything from the yeah. permits to the insurance to the, you need this, you need that. I mean, it's amazing how complex our world has become. And, um, for sure. And, uh, but wow. So I, I think this year is going to be really, really great. We've got a lot of great events for anybody that's listening that is going to the March for Life. I'd encourage you to go to marchforlife.org. You can click on the official March for Life events, and there's a link for related events as well. I know Marching 101 is going to be a really cool event this year. Then you've got, of course, the Rose Dinner. Are there still tickets available for that? Actually, no. <laughs> They're sold out? Well, we didn't. We, we haven't, we reached a deadline, but we do have a very good turnout and we're very excited about all the people coming. Um, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of people are going to be there. No, that's uh, great. And, and, and of course we have an expo with many pro-life leaders sharing their wares and their stories and their education. Um, so even if you aren't coming to the Rose dinner, you should definitely come to the, to the Weston downtown DC hotel. Um, you could come Wednesday evening of next week, all day Thursday, <clears throat> into into about eight o'clock on Thursday night and then a little bit in the morning before the march and then for like an hour four o'clock to five o'clock on Friday otherwise we shut down to go to the march but you want to come to that expo there's there's so many people going to be there um you'll you'll see all kinds of people um all kinds of organizations all, all kinds of pro-life organizations of course um sharing so much information you know, uh, that's great. The expo is definitely worth it. It's a ton of fun too. And and the rally is going to be amazing this year with the, there's a concert. I think every, I think people start showing up about 10 o'clock and it gets well, packed mm -hmm. by, by noon. It's, it's elbow to elbow. Oh yeah. Well, so we have Danny Goki and his band. They're going to, um, I think they're going to start like 1045. Okay? okay. And they'll, they're going to play for a while. And then we have just a, an, star-studded uh, lineup of speakers, including Jeannie Monsini, of course, who is, along with Aaron Getz, who is um, our director of state march programs, they're gonna co-MC. So it should be just a delightful, uh, you know, duo, the two of them together on the stage. And then of course we have our keynote is uh, Benjamin Watson. And he, you know, the former NFL tight end, he's got such a good story and he does so much philanthropy um, especially in the in, in human rights and, and pro-life world. You know, he, he's, he's just phenomenal. He's a father, husband. So he's got, he's got lots of wonderful things to talk about. Um, we also have Jean Marie Davis, who is just a fascinating, incredibly faith-filled woman who, um, she was a victim of sex trafficking from the time she was like three years old until like 28 or something. Oh my goodness. Just, just you know, her, she, she really didn't, think life was going to continue, you know, and a pregnancy center saved her. And now she is the director of um, the executive director of Branches Pregnancy Center in Vermont. So she's going to um, give us a little witness. Um, and just like I said, she's such a delightful person. We had her at our theme reveal event back in November, too. And she's she's just wonderful. Um, she's incredible. You know, Ben, ben Watson, um, he's always backstage every year even when he's not speaking and mm -hmm. he's just delightful he's approachable um just such a humble humble guy uh so i am so excited about that who else did you have anybody else well we do have some some legislators of course um and then we have uh 
Mm -mm. Pastor Greg Laurie and his wife, Kathy, are going to do our closing prayer, which is just an incredible get, I should say. He, you know, that movie last year, Jesus Revolution, was all about him. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, his, he's, he's coming. Yeah, so that's going to be really, really exciting to have him on stage with his wife. Um, oh, I can't wait. You know, yeah. it, it, you're probably going to be too busy to do this because you're going to be busy. But for those that are listening that that know, I've talked about the Dubliner a few times. That is a little Irish pub that a whole bunch of people sneak off to at some point, either after the events on Thursday or shortly before the Rose Dinner on Friday <laughs> in between the expo and everything else. So that's a, a fun sort of meetup spot that you never know who you're going to see. Um, but for, for those, so one of these years when you have some time, you'll have to sneak in there with us, Don, although right, you're going right. to- <laughs> not, gonna, not that day, probably. But <laughs> yeah. um, so, for those that are listening, you're listening to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. We are uh, joined by Don Fitzpatrick, who is the executive director at the March for Life. And you, really, if you haven't decided to go yet, it looks like I'm driving, so I've got like an extra seat. You can hitch a ride with me. Just let me know if you need a ride. Quick, call it right now. <laughs> yeah, call it right now, exactly. But go to marchforlife.org and it's great. There's a lot of resources on there. And if you can't, for some reason, make it to the national march, there are state marches, Don. And I think Illinois has got one now that is officially connected to the March for Life in Springfield. Yeah. I saw an email that Felicia sent not that long ago, so that's coming up. Um, all those resources are at marchforlife.org for people to check out. Absolutely. And, you know, right now we have um, at least 14 marches coming up starting next week all yeah. over the country, all over the country. So, um, you know, it's so important that we still come and stand on the, on the national front, you know, so that the whole country knows how we feel about this. And it's also important that we keep this topic alive in the states. Um, you know, when, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, what they said was there's no right there's no right to abortion in the constitution which is a very important thing to say but what they did not say say is that it's illegal they left that up to us they left it up to our legislators um and every st state has a different way of approaching it so we absolutely have to make sure that everyone knows that this is not a dead topic uh that it is still important and that we all believe in the sanctity of life. You know, that's at every state. It has it has to happen. So we are working with as many states as will work with us, hopefully all of them by in the next couple of years to have a, a state march at the state capital city. No, that's beautiful. Great way to, uh, to end this segment. Uh, so true. It's a state issue now. And it reminds me, um, I mean, if you look at the map, it's it's really striking. If there's been a few maps that have been circulated online that show what are referred to as life affirming states and abortion states, right? Sort of free states and abortion states. And it's, it's sad. I'm stuck in a, a bright, you know, uh, I don't know what the color is, but <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck in one that, you know, there are people that literally come to Illinois for this, for abortion. Yeah. It's so sad. And it um, is sad. Having been there and working with the, um, you know, the laws and legislation in, in Illinois for nine years, it's, it's really sad that that's the way it is. And there's so many, wonderfully pro-life people I know. um but unfortunately the legislature just isn't yeah so <clears throat> you know we've got to we've got to keep standing up for the truth and the other I, the other thing before we go i just want to make sure everybody knows our theme for this year which is uh pro-life with every woman for every child 
such an important way to look at the life issue that we absolutely have to stand with the women, support them, work together with them so that every, so that they have every reason to choose life. And that's, um, you know, that's what it's all about and, and support the pregnancy resource centers and the maternity homes that are doing such wonderful work, such heroic work um, to support the, the mothers and, and the families. That's a, let's end it there. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You're listening again, the truth culture life. And we're joined by Don Fitzpatrick at the March for life. Check out marchforlife.org for your local state marches and the national March. And I can't wait to see you next week, Don. It'll be fun. Oh yeah. I'll see you next week. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Could it be that your pastor is sadly caving into the results-based trend of the church growth industry? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Christ's kingdom is not an industry. Sadly, the how-tos of church growth has surely become an entire industry in the non-Catholic world. Just enter the words church growth in Google and see the results. In contrast, Jesus said to his apostolic college, guard them, feed them, and lead them. Secondly, pursuit of the age-old liturgy. Hype is so short-lived but rich liturgy teaches the intellect, strengthens the mind, and moves the soul. The Catholic liturgy, including Eucharistic prayer too, dates back to 250 AD as recorded by Hippolytus. And thirdly, my comeback. The church has given us about 10,000 saints who are there to enrich us. Their earthly pursuits for personal acclaim were buried deep in the chamber of prayer, penance, and piety. They were not given to an expectation of a 12% year-over-year church growth rate. So sad how the numbers can lie, but rejoice that the saints didn't even try. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism.